I'm Dr. Ben Rall. Do you know where the most amazing doctor lives? You may be surprised to learn that it's actually right inside of you. Yet, today's healthcare model is built on a foundation that the greatest doctor instead comes in the form of pills, potions, lotions, even surgery. So listen in, because what if the majority of what you have been told about health and healing is not only wrong, but actually harmful to you? One thing is for sure, when you work with your body and not against it, you'll begin to discover that you are in fact designed to heal. Hey everybody, it's Dr. Ben Raw, and I'm so excited to have you with us today on Designed to Heal. This is going to be one of those episodes where you, pro I'm gonna make a prediction here. This is gonna probably be one of the most listened to and then also the most shared episodes that we ever have. I have, she uh, might not know this, but I have she. I have one of my heroes on today's uh, podcast interview, and uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny is with us today, and I'm just excited even saying that. We've been working on this interview. I was going through our, our email trails, and I think we've been working, I feel like I've been working on this interview for like a couple of years, right? Just, oh my goodness. Well, in the midst of it, you know, in the midst of it, because believe it or not, I wanted to have you on the show before COVID. And people are going to, a lot of people, of course, got to know you uh, more because of the last couple of years, but I have been following you for years and years and because you're one of those, and this is one of the reasons I want to have you on. And then we're going to just, I'm going to let you just talk away here, but you are one of those people that has been speaking. I don't even like the term sometimes that we use, but speaking out about vaccines, and that's not even the right way to say it, talking about the science, talking about the risks, talking about freedom of choice, informed consent. You have been talking about vaccines long before COVID, right? So as I was even, you know, growing up, I've been a chiropractor for about 20 years and with my kids, I mean, I remember reading your work and reading your materials years and years ago. They were very formative and very helpful for myself and my wife, who's a research attorney, to navigate the, the, the literature, right? Understand it scientifically, understand it um, from a perspective of faith as well, but also just, so I'm so thankful. So number one, I just want to honor you, Doc, honor your work. Um, you were cool before COVID. How about that, right? Okay. <laughs> so uh, in my world, you are, you're a, you're a hero to myself and many of my colleagues. And I know we have some mutual friends out there in the world, but thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you so much. Boy, it's almost embarrassing to hear you say that well, we've been trying to do on the, work on this for so long. Well, <laughs> it's almost you, embarrassing. No, no, no. It's uh, it's it was probably uh, more on my end. Just life got wild there. But I can you do our listeners a favor? So I know many will know you, and I know you're a humble person, and this isn't about bragging. But the reality is, you have a significant body of work, and you have done. Uh, in this area, you're just, you just are, whether you like it or not, you're just one of the leaders, one of the forerunners and one of the leaders. And so will you tell us a little bit about your journey, um, how you ended up even in this space? Cause you got a little bit of a unique story there. We know you're a medical doctor background and will you just kind of tell us your story here for a bit? My listeners get to know you. Well, sure. I think it, it behooves people to know, since you're a chiropractor, that yeah. I grew up in a chiropractic family. That's the other reason that I my... love you. I wasn't going to say it, but that's the <laughs> other. That endeared me to you right away. I was like, well, that's why she's so smart. She comes from a chiropractic family. Well, that's kind of true. I'm I mean, teasing. my grandfather, my father, three uncles, and two cousins are chiropractors. Gosh, you had and no choice. I know. And, and, you know, from the time I was four, I decided I wanted to go to medical school from sitting around listening to them all talk about cases and all that other stuff. And, yeah. uh, but I, I wanted to be like, you know, Maria, you know, Mar I grew up in the era of Marcus Welby. And so I wanted to be like Maria Welby. You know, I wanted Honey. to be Marcus Welby, MD. I wanted to be Maria Welby, and Shoot. I wanted to be a medical doctor. And at one point in time, I really thought I wanted to be a pediatric cardiovascular surgeon. Of That's course. what I wanted to do because I, I have little hands and, mm. you know, I thought it would, and I'm really really deck I have good good hands and stuff like that <laughs> but then when I found out that you really have to by the time you graduate from medical school you have to go through about 12 or 14 more years of of uh, training I said ah, I don't think so <laughs> I don't think mm -hmm. I want to do that anymore but I but it is the reason why I became an osteopathic physician as opposed to an MD medical doctor because growing up in a chiropractic family I wanted to have that tool in my toolbox I wanted to be able yeah. to use that because it's um and I couldn't imagine doing anything for anybody with pain without mm. being able to have a mechanical tool in my body to adjust, um, yeah. align them, doing things with myofascial release and on and on and on all the things that you do. Yeah. So 
I became an osteopathic physician um, partly because of my family and partly from some other things that happened. But Doc, can you know, I ask I was, you a question? I, can I just just sure, curious? Sure, sure. When you made that decision, because I know we, we even laugh at you know, all my chiropractic friends, was your um, you know you have that little spot in your heart as as a parent? You know, oh, that's great. They're going to be a chiropractor. And I know the the old you know some of the old divisions between medical and chiropractic. Did your was your family very supportive of that? I mean, were they cool with you deciding to be a DO and not a, a Cairo? Just curious. Well, I'll tell you, there, yeah. that's another whole sort of a sidebar story. So when I was a freshman, maybe maybe a sophomore in, um, in college, I went to University of Toledo in Ohio to undergraduate, and I decided I wanted to go to a bigger school. So over the summer, I transferred to Ohio State. Mm. And while I was at Ohio State, I got a job as a volunteer at the Ohio State University, you know, hospital, okay. a big hospital down there. And at the bat, this was, you know, in the 70s, right? It which sort of dates me, but it was in the 70s. And I got a job in the uh, as a volunteer, and they had a program um, where where they positioned me. You work in the department under the nursing department, and I was working as a transporter. So I would take a wheelchair and go up to the 10th floor of the hospital, uh, which was the orthopedic floor and that was back in the days when they would put people in the hospital for every type of workup mm. which they don't do at all and now anymore so i'd go up to i'd go up to the 10th floor i'd get somebody out of the bed i'd put them in the chair and then i'd take them 10 floor 10 go to the elevator and we would go 10 stories down to the basement which is where they had the radiology department mm. and i'd take them down there to get you know x-rays or whatever they were getting and that was, this is just really tells you, I mean, I, I'll just, I'm 64. So yeah. this just tells you how, what it used to be a long time ago. In that was back in the days when the hospital still had um, elevator operators mm. where they pushed the buttons and stuff for you, you know? Mm. So I would take this person in their wheelchair, I'd get in the, get in the elevator, we'd go down to the 10th floor and, you know, I'm just, you know, young and I've, I'm skinny and I have waist length blonde <laughs> hair and, and I'm just like being a little miss chatty because, you know, I want to grow up and be a doctor someday, yeah, right? Yeah. So I'm talking to people. So why are, why are you in the hospital? Well, I have back pain. You have back pain. Well, have you seen a chiropractor? Sure. My dad treats people with, I'm in an MD allopathic hospital telling people in the elevator to go see a <laughs> chiropractor from the 10th floor all the way down and then all the way back up. And I'm telling all these success stories of my dad. Yeah. Well, about a week later I go into do, to, and I go to my locker and there's a big thing taped on my locker says report to the head of the department of nursing wow. immediately okay so i said and you're oh, just a little like to... you're just like bottom of the totem pole you're like just a little worker i'm a volunteer i'm in pre-med yeah. and i'm a, a volunteer at the hospital right so i go into this the head of the department of nursing thing and there's three md medical doctors oh standing gosh. there <laughs> and they're you know starched white coats who proceed to rip me a new into a the next hemisphere? Wow! I mean, how dare I talk to any of their patients about quackery called? Oh, this was full fledged quackery they, season, huh? This was full, oh, oh this wow. went on for like an hour. I was no. in tears huh. that they beat the crap out of me. They called the security department to take away my little volunteer coat and to <sighs> issue me out of the hospital and was not allowed to set foot back in that hospital ever again. I'm like I'm like 19 years old scared to death, horrified yeah. about what just happened. I dropped out of summer school because I had to start in summer school at Ohio State to get enrolled in the fall. Okay. So I dropped the classes I was taking, which I really liked a lot. I was sorry, to, but I said, I just can't stay here. I went home. I was devastated. I didn't, and I, and I went back to, uh, transferred back to University of Toledo, went to my pre-med advisor in the fall. I said, I don't want to be a medical doctor. Mm. They're stupid and they're mean. I'm going to go to chiropractic school. Wow. I never and heard this I'm, story. Yeah. And my mom says to me, so I'm telling my mom that she said, you're not going to be a chiropractor. It's not <laughs> happening. She said, your dad his entire life has had to suffer under the scourge of being a chiropractor, you mm, know, and all this mm, other stuff. Just the and, stuff you know, that you get called, like the way you experienced, you know, as a, yeah, as a, well, as a little volunteer and, there. And, yeah. And my dad, you know, this was in the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. And so that's when chiropractic was really... Yeah, yeah, even you know, completely the scourge. Did your dad go to Palmer? Planet, right, He's a Palmer guy. He did. Okay, and yeah. so did all of my relatives. Okay, yeah. And so he, um, so in my dad, my mom said, "No, you're not going. That's not going to happen." And so I go back and I tell my pre-med advisor, who I dearly loved, I said, "Well, I don't want to be a medical doctor, and my mom and dad really don't want me to be a chiropractor." And he said, "Well, have you ever heard of osteopathic medicine?" 
And I said, no, I don't even know what that is. Mm. So he tracked me down, and I, I wish to this day I would re- I could remember the name of this woman. Uh, it was a, a woman who had just graduated from a Michigan State osteopathic medical school whose father was a chiropractor, mm. And she took me to lunch and told me about, you know, as being an osteopath, you can do anything and everything that you ever wanted to do as an MD, including being a pediatric cardiovascular mm-hmm. surgeon, if that's what you wanted. But you also have the skill set of, of what your father has in terms of being a chiropractor. And I said, golden, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so that's how I um, that's how I became a DO is because of what happened. Literally. Oh, it was it was horrifying. I mean, just sitting here right now. I mean, that was what? 50 years ago, almost, mm. almost. And I still remember standing in that room with those three doctor orthopedic people. They are tall and overbearing and just were the meanest three human beings on the planet. Thank you for sharing that. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because I just look at that and I, I think about your, your life journey and I've just, you know, watched it mostly from a distance, but no doubt God was preparing you doc for, um, cause that wasn't going to probably be your last, you know, <laughs> your last rodeo and facing, facing ridiculous stuff, right? You know, you, it was preparing, you know, almost what a, what a appropriate introduction to your career, if you will. Right. Um, as, <laughs> well, as, if, sure. <laughs> as you think about that, right. I mean, you, you, you've, you've gone the road less travel, even though you essentially went into some level of a, of a more of a mainstream, but even within that, you have been a person that is not afraid to ask questions and share truth and, you know, do what's best for patients and all that kind of stuff. So I know we, I know I took you on a tangent there, so I want to jump back into your, your work there, but thank you for sharing that story. That was, uh, that was, well, yeah. you know, speaking, speaking about other things that like, you know, burnish you, yeah. you know, to, you know, like iron, 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 iron firms up iron, yeah. you know, that's a, like iron makes sharpens iron. iron, yeah. Iron sharpens iron. So, you know, my first job out of, out of medical school is like, I couldn't decide really, I really couldn't decide if I wanted to go into some internal medicine subspecialty or if I wanted to go into surgery, because honestly I was good at both. And every rotation that I went on, the attending physician would try to convince me mm. If I was in general surgery, they would try to, I all remember, I remember the day that the the head of the department of surgery came to me and during my internship and he said, you know, I can't even believe I'm going to say these words. Mm. He said, cause I never tried to, to, um, to recruit a woman into surgery because it's such a hard life. Oh, wow. He said, but you would be so good at it. Mm. And he said, you would be so good at what you do. And, and then I did an orthopedic res, uh, rotation. The guy said, I never would tell a woman to go into <laughs> orthopedic surgery, but you would be really good at it. Then I would go do a critical care cardiac rotation. They go, I would never try to recruit a woman into intensive care life because you're always on call, but you would be so good at it. So 12 months of this, you know, so at the the end of 12 months of my internship, not having a clue what I'm going to do going forward. And two of my really good friends were um, there actually was three guys two of them were doing anesthesia residencies and one was doing, uh, going into orthopedics and we, we hung out together a lot and they said, you know, you're so good at everything, Sherry. So why don't you go do emergency medicine for a couple of years? And, and then maybe you can gravitate towards something that you would really like. And so I, so that's how I ended up in the ER because I really didn't have any other options. I hadn't even um, interviewed for any residency programs or anything because mm-hmm. I couldn't decide the basic of thing that what you decide after you graduate from medical school, do you go into medicine or do you go into surgery? I mean, that's like the first, you know, the first why in the algorithm, right? Left or right <laughs> surgery or medicine. And I'm like, oh, I don't know both. How do, we, how do I do both? Well, both is sort of like what you end up doing in the, in the ER because you do everything in every age group. Mm. So my very first job that I got in emergency medicine was in Sandusky, Ohio at a hospital called, it's, it's called Firelands. It's still there. This would have been in 1985. And they had just merged. This was a brand new, brand spanking new hospital. And the MD hospital and the osteopathic hospital had just merged and had come together in this new hospital called Firelands. Well, it was a war zone. Mm. These were people who for 20 years had, had, had shot at each other down the street. And now they had to work together in this brand new hospital. Mm. And the MDs hated me <laughs> and the DOs didn't, didn't like me either because I was the new kid on the block. But the only allegiances that I had was to DOs because I happened to be a DO, but other than that, not. Yeah. And I had 
had to be the very best ER doc on every single thing. I had to have like fully everything worked up every time I talked to somebody on the phone. And in in that about year and a half that I worked there, it made me into the best doctor ever. Because Mm. when if I was going to pick up a phone and talk to one of those MDs, I better know what the heck I was talking about. Mm. And the same thing with the osteopaths. In fact, the guy who was the director of the ER at the time, he said, man, you haven't even done a residency and you're better than everybody else who works here. Mm. And I said, it's because I have to be, I have to be really smart and, and I can't make any mistakes. And you were, and you're a woman and I don't mean to say that, but right. Yeah. And at the, on top of it, you at the time probably was still somewhat of a male dominated profession. Oh, it still is. And it's, it's just a real, real hard road in the, in the ER. And so, but it's so, he, so um, he wanted me to go do an ER residency and I got, I applied, I got into the residency I, I wanted in Philadelphia and I got to looking at it and I thought that's four years of my life to learn to do what I'm already doing well I mean why would I want mm-hmm. to do that and I was the last group of people that could still grandfather into board certification so I was able to get my board certification without having to do that residency and mm. I have everybody t- already telling me you're better than all these people right. that are working here why would I give up four years of my life and all the money I was making to go do that so then I took the next job which was to become the, the go to the ER in Finley Ohio which was um Really, um, that was really a hard job at at the beginning because I was the only DO on an all-MD medical staff. I was one of only four women on an entire staff of 200 doctors, and I was only 29 years old. I was the youngest person on the medical staff when I became the director of the ER. So, so Doc, I mean, is this, I, is this, I'm curious, because I think this is interesting for, for some of our listeners, because, you know, in my world, right, and you grew up with this because of your, your family, right, you know, chiropractors, we're not real doctors, of course, right, so we're not real doctors, and then, so then now you're a DO, but even then in that I don't even like to use this, but in that hierarchy here, you're looked down on by the MDs. And and that's, I think that's fascinating for some people, right? You know, to even, I, I guess I never had, had thought about that. And then of course, like you said, being a woman and being young and then, you know, uh, unfortunately being even great at your jobs. I, I heard a story the other day, somebody told me, um, it was a pastor actually, and he was telling this story about, he was buying a fish tank or something. They were, they were getting crabs. I don't remember exactly, but it didn't have a lid on it. And he said, well, aren't the crabs going to get out? And he said, no, they'll always grab them and pull them in before they get out. Right. You know, and it just makes me think, you know, here, you know, there's so much to celebrate about your career and in your life and being, you know, having a gift and having an anointing in this space yet, you know, you think people would be cheering for you. It had to be this weird dynamic. And of course you're seeing patients. So you just, you want, you know, want, you want to help them. So you got this, what a dichotomy you had going in your life, right? Here you're, you're thriving in the sense professionally by, by this sense of your, your skill set. but gosh, a, a still a, not an easy journey. No. And when I became the director of the ER down there, I mean, I saved those guys behinds more time than you mm. can count. And um, so they learned to really respect me. And I, and again, it was like iron sharpens iron because um, they tried to push me around and they realized I wasn't budging. Mm. And there were times when I would stomp my foot and say, you go over there and do your job. You're in my <laughs> department now. You, you're not in the department of surgery. You're in my department now to go over there and do your job. Mm. And there were times when I would call people on, on night call and they would not do things right. I'd write them up, turn them into the department of surgery the next morning and so it's like oh baby she's she's kind of she's kind of cute and kind of young and you know and seems really nice but don't try to push her around and and my business partner at the time uh, Dave Franchesek you know and Dave and I were the best freaking frack ever I mean and and he wanted to work all night shifts which was fine with me and then I worked all the day shifts and so we, we I played good guy and he played bad guy and we changed roles just often enough to keep people off, off guard that they would come into our department they wouldn't mess around with us so funny and and we were young i mean we're you know dave was young dave was younger than me i was 29 he was 28 and and we just sort of like rode herd over everybody there until we kind of like snapped the whip and got him in line and then i used to have big run-ins with my hospital administrator i mean i go stomping down the hall and i bang open the door and slam my fist down on Mm. his desk and say you're gonna listen to me and Mm. you're gonna listen to me right now and he's like whoa whoa sherry like back down it's okay now were you were you always were you uh, I mean, I know it's. ER. I was never like that. I learned to be like that from being an ER doc. And well, when I left the ER, yeah. seriously, after you know, I, that was up until ni- my last ER shift was in 1998. 
part of the part of the reason I left was because I was burned out. Part of the reason is because my business partner Dave had died at the age of thirty two with metastatic mm. kidney cancer. Mm. Part of it was I really thought that this whole holistic integrative stuff was the wave of the future, and I wanted to be part of it. And part of it was I had just gotten pretty toxic in my personal life in terms of. I used to always pride myself in the fact that I could go into the ER and I could be everything that I just described, like no nonsense, like do your job and get out of my ER. Mm -hmm. And I used to always, it was about an hour and 15 minute drive home from where I worked. And I used to always pride myself that I could like, you know, detox that, get rid of it. And when I would walk into my home, I would be able to hang that coat up at the door and my ER personality would stay in the ER. Okay. And then when I come home, I'd be, you know, just sharing. Right. right. And it just got to the place where we'd gotten so much busier and there was a whole lot of other stuff going on that I just found that I was kind of that edgy in your face mm. sort of personality all the time. And I said, I don't like me. I don't like what this is doing to me. So I always warn people. I always warn people, Ben, I always say that, you know, when I left the ER, I hung that set of clothes up in the closet. I didn't burn them. And you really don't want to see me put on that jacket. You really don't. <laughs> no, I'm no, no, noted. I got, I just noted. Okay. Just, 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 you know, my, my, like I joked earlier, my wife's an attorney, like just, just use your imagination there. Right. Like if I'm going to get an argument, like I know who I'm up against. Right. So, uh, yeah. So, you know, it's kind of funny because often you are, I mean, everybody of course loves you and you have this, I'm just going to say that, you know, you have this sweetness to you, right? I was listening to some of your interviews recently just to get up to speed. And I was like, oh, I just love Sherry, right? I just love listening to you, right? But but make no mistake about it, right? Um, you, uh, you have, and I think that's what has kept you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but as an outsider, it's, you need to have that in these times, Doc, or you'll, you'll quit, right? Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll give up, any of us in this, in this state. We'll just say, you know what? I'm not going to do it anymore. I know there's some good, and you know them too, some good people that we are, we're part of this movement, that we're part of natural health and natural health freedom that's either have literally lost their lives for, you know, crazy stuff or, or just got out of the fight because, you know, or their families were destroyed. Like that breaks my heart, you know, because we need every one of them we can uh, to stay in the game. But it, it, yeah, it's just, and it's an interesting I'm, perspective. I didn't think about that. So you decided to walk, not walk away. Like you just said, you, you left that at that point, 94, did you say? 96. 96. Okay. Actually 96, I moved to Cleveland and started my integrative holistic practice, 10 penny integrated medical center, you know, which now I'm always proud to say people have come from all 50 States and at least 18 foreign countries mm. to get well and get off their drugs, you Praise know, God. and stuff and off their pharmaceuticals. Exactly. And so I started that in 1996, but for two years, I still, while I was building the practice here, I was still working in the ER. So, and it's about an hour and a half drive from Cleveland to Finley. So I would work in my office on Monday, Wednesday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday till noon. I would hop in the car at noon. I would drive to Finley about two hours and I would work in the ER Tuesday evening from two to 10. And then all day Saturday, then all day Friday and all day Saturday. And I drive home Saturday night and Sunday off. And I do that again. Like I did that for two years. You know, while I was still working in the ER, I was still, you know, the money that I was making until I had built the practice up after two years to be able to completely make the switch. So it was a hard two years. And it was at the end of that two year period of time, it was even harder because I felt so schizophrenic. I mean, Mm. I drive down, I would leave after I've been doing things about nutrition and osteopathy and acupuncture and and lifestyle changes and and all kinds of integrated tests and things that we do. I would do that like, you know, Monday through Thursday at noon and then I'd walk into the ER on Thursday afternoon and I felt like such a fish out of water. It's mm. like, what am I, what am I doing here? And by the time I worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday in the ER and I drove home on Sunday night, when mm. I would walk into my office on Monday, I would be so have that whole hard drive switched and all the new software put in back in all the conventional ER rock and roll stuff that you would do that I would walk into my office on Monday morning and go, I'm such a quack. What am I doing mm. here? Mm. What am I nutrition? What you mean? I just can't write prescriptions. I mean, what is this? And it would take like a half a day to like switch out the software in my head, you know, and, and for the last probably six months of doing that was really hard because it was really, um, 
really felt very schizophrenic to do both, to be doing things with getting people off of their drugs and improving their lifestyle and detoxing their livers and all this stuff on Monday through Thursday, yeah. and then going into the ER on Thursday, Friday, Saturday and giving them drugs. And, yeah. And, yeah, that's and not crazy. talking about, about, you know, people would come in with heart disease. I couldn't talk to them about, you know, omega-3s and CoQ10. I had yeah. to talk to them about Lipitor and, and statins. Yeah. I had to talk to them about statins and, and, and beta blockers, you know, and so wow. it was really hard. In those last two years, it was really, really. You know, it, re- it reminds me. Of course, I know one of our mutual friends, Dell, and you know when he was on the the doctor show, right? Here he's doing all this stuff. He's like, "What is this? I wasn't raised like this, right?" But clearly, again, God used that journey, right, that part of his story, to to help him do this, right? So thank goodness you fought through that. I mean, I'm sure there was times where you thought, like you said, "What am I doing? Should I just quit?" You know, and just go do the easy route. I'm saying with air quotes, right? Even though living out of integrity of what God called you to do. Uh, maybe it feels good short term. It relieves some stress, but you know, right? It wasn't going to work long term for you. It was going to destroy destroy your you know your life or your spirit. Um, so, well, so I, I yeah. remember the very last patient that I saw. Well, it wasn't the last patient, but it was the night that I said, "That's it. This is it. I can't do this anymore." There was a. It was really busy. It was a Saturday night. It was super super busy, and and I decided to stay an extra hour and help out because we we had double coverage. We had two doctors working at the same time at that time, and it was more than just. It was just so busy. And so I decided to stay like an extra hour. And I and we, we, used, we used to do this thing, used to call it um, debulking the ER, which means you would flip through the box of people that were there and you'd pull out the things that were just going to be really quick, mm. like really super easy things just to, to get the, the number of, of people out. Okay, like okay. you would you would just like go through and take all the simple things gotcha. like sore throat, earache, you know, okay. rash, you know, something like that and just get that stuff out of the ER. So it would help your fellow ER docs that were going to be working the night shift. It would calm things down a bit. So I said, well, okay, I'll stay an extra hour and I'll do that. And I picked up a chart and it said um, acute gout at the top. And which was, you know, in my mind, it's no big deal. You go back, you do a little exam, you give them a shot of Toradol, which is an injectable anti-inflammatory. You write a prescription, they're out the door. I mean, just get them out. So I walked back and I went to the end of the hall. This young man, I walked in the room. I'll never forget it. Someday when I write my memoirs, Mm. I'm going to have to write about this. Because I walked in and he was standing up, like leaning back, like in a standing position, leaning back against the gurney. And he had his arms flexed and his wrists held up in front of him, like like about just at about like chin level. And I walked in and I said, hi, my name is Dr. Tenpenny. So I hear you've got some issues with your wrists. And he opened his eyes and his had these blue eyes that just like looked into my soul. Mm. And he had two big tears that rolled mm. down his, his cheeks. And he said, why does this keep happening to me? I do everything they tell me and it won't go away. And I just like mm. fell back against the sink and went, yeah. And, and there was like this some whole thing took over of, of me. So I, I just popped into being the integrative doc. So I started talking to him about his diet, about yeast, about fungus, about could he do this and what about this and has he tried this? And, and he said, no, why has nobody mentioned any of those things to me? I'd be willing to do anything. I can't do this because he had bilateral severe gout in both wrists. And, and, and he was so grateful and he, and I was back there like an hour. <laughs> so much <laughs> so for, so much for de- debulking the ER. Right, exactly. <laughs> so when I finally walked back up to the front desk, people were looking at me like, what the heck are you doing? Complicated gout session. You know, <laughs> and I walked up, I wrote the things that I did on the chart. I took the chart it was like on a clipboard and I smacked it on the desk. Mm. I said, consider this to be my official two weeks notice. I'm done. I'm out of here. Wow. I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. And everybody looked at me like, what the hell happened back yeah, there? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. What epiphany happened back there? <laughs> you came out mad. Patient came out really happy. He was like, this was the best visit ever. <laughs> and I was just like, I can't do this anymore. It's so schizophrenic. And it was in two weeks. And, and so it turned out it was a little bit longer than that because of the scheduling. But that was my official notice that I just, and I think it was maybe a month later because I had to finish out the rest of the schedule for the month. And uh, But it was like January of 1998 I, I was my last shift in the ER because I couldn't do that schizophrenic stuff anymore. Mm. And at some point in that month period of time, when people would come in with heart disease, I would talk to them about their diet and, and omega threes and, and CoQ10 
and all the stuff. And the cardiologist got mad at mm. me because why was I talking to people about nutrition? And I remember seeing this young like baby coming in. It was maybe a year and a half years old, was screaming, crying. And the mom was just beside herself. And she said, this is his eighth ear infection in the last couple months. Nothing's working. Why can't? And he was snotting out everywhere, yellow, green stuff in his nose and his ears. And, and I said to his mom, I said, here, this is what you do. Go to the health food store, get some probiotics, <laughs> take him off of all dairy, no cheese, no milk, no anything like that. And, um, and a month later, she came back into the ER to thank me because wow. he was so much better. And the pediatricians wrote me up for not prescribing Lord an antibiotic. And so, I mean, that's just, you know... So when you, I mean, it's a lo- it was a long time ago, but I don't think things have changed much. Yeah, honestly. Uh, well, my experience from a patient's perspective would be the same. Are you, so, so now, okay. So it sounds a little glory, not that part, but so, okay. I have to imagine there's this, you know, the skies parted rainbows everywhere. Cause now <laughs> you're out and you're free, you know, and you've got your super integrated practice here. Now I can kind of quote, do whatever I want. Um, but I have to imagine that that wasn't all smooth sailing. I mean, you jump into that world um, or, you know, you go more full time into that world while well, you were full time, you were too full time. But so what has been the journey then? When did you really start? Is that when you started getting more known for your integrative world, for speaking out on different issues? What was when, when did that start? Well, that would have been, um, let me see, March of 96 was March, March of 96 is when we opened the practice, you know, in officially practice in, in, in Cleveland. And I was just building the practice and going to conferences and learning, 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 learning. And so in September of 2000, so four years later, I get this flyer in the mail to go to the national vaccine information center meeting in Washington, DC about vaccines. And I, I was, you know, growing up in a chiropractic family, I wasn't, I wasn't vaccinated as a kid. Mm -hmm. I had all the age appropriate measles, mumps, rubella, chicken pox. I think I had pertussis at least twice. And, you know, and my dad, and the reason for that, and I did an interview a couple days ago with Peter McCullough and we were talking about it. He said, so your parents that back in that day were big anti-vaxxers. I said, no, Oh oh, yeah, (laughs) they were, they were not. I said, my dad, who was a chiropractor had served in the uh, Korean war. And when he enlisted, he was in the army. And when he enlisted, he got this whole boatload of vaccines, which, you know, which is a whole lot less in the fifties than what it is today. But it was still a lot because of course he had never been vaccinated. And he said he never got sick. He was so sick. He was like, almost died. He said, I've never been that sick in my entire life. And so then, you know, three or four years later, when I was born, I was born in 58 and the peak of the polio epidemic was in 55. And that's when the polio shots first came out. And in the chiropractic literature, as you probably right, know, right, I was yeah. talking about all the kids that were getting paralysis from the shots. And so the combination of what was in the chiropractic literature about po- uh, a paralytic polio induced by the shots ver- in coupled with my father's own experience about being so terribly sick from yeah. all the vaccines he got joining the army. He and my mom just said, we're not doing that to our daughter. It's yeah. just ridiculous. You know, we're going to raise her with chiropractic care and good food and, yeah. and vitamins and all that stuff. And Peter was like, huh, well, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I said, yeah. I said, so I never did any of that. So when I, so fast forward to September of 2000 and I get this flyer in the mail that just really wouldn't ever leave my kitchen counter. Every time I tried to throw it away, somehow it magically showed back <laughs> up on the counter. And I thought, well, there must be some important person I'm supposed to meet at this conference. Little did I know that I was going down there to meet my destiny. Mm. And so I sat through four days of doctors, lawyers, research, bench researchers, parents of vaccine injured children, mm. and, and said, how, how did I miss this? How mm. did I know the vaccines were a problem? So even and, through, I, I guess, thank you, even though, even through everything you just told us and growing up with the Kairos and, you know, your own journey and, you know, your own, even unvaccinated for the reasons you just shared and integrative medicine and all this, this still, it's still, you hadn't really had that big epiphany moment up until this moment where you ended up. No, I didn't. And actually before I went to that meeting in DC, I would say in the three or four months when I was kind of trying how to not to go to that meeting, I even went so far as to call them and ask them when their (laughs) next meeting was, because it was just such a, a bad timing for me to go down there. And they said, well, we're a small nonprofit. This may be the only one we do during that period of time. 
and it was probably just God setting me up for this. I don't know. But I, there were several, I still distinctly remember several patients that came in kind of like clutching their children to mm. their chest going, what is your position on vaccines? Mm. And I'm like, I don't know. I really don't think I have one. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I mean, I don't really think they're necessary. I sure. wasn't vaccinated as a kid. I don't know why you would do that. And at that point in time, Ben, up until that point, I had never even read so much as one package insert. Mm. Wow. And, and, and I remember there was a mom that came in with a mildly vaccine injured son from an MMR. He wasn't really severely autistic, but he was mildly injured. And I remember her sitting in my office and crying. Just, she said, you know, Michael, her husband's name was Michael. And she said, Michael and I, you know, tried for years to have this baby. And when I finally got pregnant, she said, we researched everything, we, everything, like even the time of mobile that needed mm, to mm. be in the, in the bassinet. It never occurred to us to investigate vaccines oh. ever. And, and so, you know, I, really didn't I, I mean so I get down to this meeting in Washington DC and I'm seeing all these kids in wheelchairs there's yeah. and all these kids and I'm thinking what in the world did I just walk into here or what world did I just mm. walk into here there were about 700 people who were attending the meeting and I was like yeah. wow what is this about and I think I still have my notes because I sat there and I just took copious notes and I came home kind of shell-shocked and I thought well, I suppose I ought to look into this because this is something that wasn't even close and nowhere on my wheelhouse, like not even a, not even a morsel on my, on my wheelhouse. Well, where do I start? Well, I guess I'll start with the CDC. They're supposed to be experts on this stuff, right? <laughs> and so, Sorry to laugh. I, it just, it's, well, you know, especially now it's just like, okay. Especially yeah, now, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it's like, well, if I was going to research something in law, I suppose sure, I'd go yeah. to Supreme Court, Supreme Court cases, right? So, I mean, yeah, aren't, they the, yeah. aren't they the supposed to be the head of the period? Even that we can't use anymore. I don't know. I yeah, know, go ahead. exactly. <laughs> so I pull out the general, they write this every couple of years. Now I haven't looked at it in a long time, but yeah. um, it was the general recommendation of vaccination. They're 1998 version of that. And I read it. It was like, I don't know, 42 pages. I think I still have a print copy of it somewhere because they've scrubbed it off the internet. Mm. And it, it, I thought, I got to the end of it and I went, this can't, this can't be it. This can't be what this entire industry is based off of. It's poorly written. It's just, I mean, there's nothing of substance here. And at the time, this is an $8 billion a year industry based off of this piece of crap. It mm. can't be. No, mm. there's got to be more to it than this. So that more to it than this has grown into 22 years and more than 50,000 hours of research and written a couple of books and contributed chapters to books, written dozens and dozens of articles that have been translated into many different languages and literally thousands of interviews to be able to say, stand absolute assurity that vaccines have never been proven to be safe. They've never been proven to keep you from getting sick. They are absolutely not necessary and they absolutely unequivocally cause harm. Every single bioweapon injected into every single arm is there is intended to cause harm. Yeah. Well, that is a, that was, that is a mic drop right there. Yeah. To go from all of that to that is a person's conclusion after, you know, 50,000 hours. And I, I'm thinking about your, again, your training where you said, I always had to be the best of the best because I knew what I was up against, right? I knew that they were going to look for any crack to disprove me or throw me under the bus or make me look bad. So I, I'm sure you took that same tenacity because as you dig into something like vaccines, you know, they're going to try to find any way to discredit you or whatever. Right. Um, and so I'm, I know when you went through all that, that work and effort and continue to you, I watch enough of your stuff, read enough of your stuff, been through enough of your stuff to know that you don't throw stuff out there that you can't defend. Right. You don't you wouldn't make a statement like you just made um, and not be able to back every word of that up. And so what has that? Well, how about this right now? Will you tell them how they can follow you? Because I know you've got some great materials. You got your classes. You got you. I have this standing kind of email and text that I have when people ask me, hey, my friend has had a baby. They're asking about vaccines. What can I have them do? I have this, this standard thing that I keep saved and three of them are you that they got to check this. They got to watch this. They got to do this. Um, so will you tell our listeners how they can follow you, how they can get engaged? Cause they're listening going, I want my friend to have this or my sister who's pregnant to have this. What are the, I know you have several kind of things they can do. Will you go through some of your, your properties? So how they know how to follow you, learn from you classes they can take. 
The standard property that has the most links and the easiest to find things is drtenpenny.com. It's dr no period tenpenny.com, and I always have to say it that way because people just routinely p- type in the period and then they go, "Oh, the website's down." Mm. You know? And how do you spell like, your last name? Because I know some people forget the. Oh, I know. T e n. It's d r t as in Tom, e n as in Nancy. P is in Peter, E-N-N-Y, drtenpenny.com. And when you're there, you can look at our our vitamin shop, our apparel store. You can look at all the events. There's an events tab for different things that I'm doing. The two things that I'm I'm enjoying doing the most right now is uh, the two substacks that I write. I write a substack on Saturday called Eye on the Evidence. And I take articles from the mainstream medical journals and explain it and then write a commentary about it. And you can find that by going to Dr. Tenpenny, Dr. Tenpenny dot substack.com that'll take you right there and that's released i release one every saturday morning and then there's a a second substack that i write that i really enjoy and that's when i release on sunday morning called 10 penny walk with god 10 penny walk with god dot substack.com and we talk about a bible verse and just kind of go through it's i I, honestly i enjoy writing it but i write it as much for me as i do for therapy for the end of the week yeah it's my sunday morning you know spend time in the word and you know write out things of inspiration write out some prayers that because i always say lord what do you want me to say today and Mm. just let him guide me in terms of of what i write and how it's written and so those are the two things the other thing if you're relatively new to this whole vaccine discussion and you really want to get educated. My sister's site is called learning the number four Y-O-U learning for you.org learning the number four Y-O-U.org. And we have dozens of, of courses that are there. They're available. Some are free, some are for sale and they're various prices, which helps us pay, you know, our, 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 it helps us to keep funded. And I'm always grateful for that. It helps us pay our bills and our employees. And there's, there are courses in there on things like, um, a tetanus, pertussis, polio, smallpox, how to read a package insert. Um, um, just the, the list goes on and on. And we're always, uh, Dr. Lee Merritt creates courses for us now. So she's got some courses in there. We've got, we started doing a, a boot camp last fall. We've always, we've done boot camps since 2017 that were called Mastering Vaccine Info. Right. And then with COVID came on, I did enti- an entire series of COVID courses. So if you go to learningforyou.org, there's a, at the top, very top of the page, there's a, an icon uh, for a catalog and you can hover over the catalog and you can see all the different courses in there. I did a whole series of COVID courses that quite frankly, Ben about killed me. I put so much work into them about the myth of the mask, the fraud of the PCR testing, yeah. the nonsense of the social distancing, all the stuff that we talked about, uh, about the, the vaccines and the, and the shots in the last year. I wrote two ebooks called uh, 20 Mechanisms and 20 More Mechanisms of how the COVID shots can make you sick or kill you. And those are courses in there. So there's just an overwhelming amount of information. And so when people come up and say, uh, what can you tell me about vaccines, yeah. Dr. Tempity? Yeah. It's like, uh, go to learning for you.org. Yeah. It's all in there. Go to drtenpenny.com. You can look at our podcast. I do a podcast uh, four days a week. And so our podcast links are inside of drtenpenny.com. The Substack links are inside of drtenpenny.com. And so, you know, and if you go to our store, we've got private label supplements and we, and there's a second store that's our apparel store. And I love our t-shirts. Mm. I mean, I, I buy my own swag and wear it. <laughs> I really do. I've got my own mugs that I buy out of my own store, you know, to, to have, because I just think our, our, yeah. our designer is just great and, so and they're really fun and I, I really enjoy it. So any the support there from all of any of your listeners would be just be fantastic. You know, I laugh sometimes because um, I get, sometimes I think our, our offices or our lives, right. Are just kind of an expression of the things that, that we love. Right. And so my office is the same way. The stuff I carry in my office is the stuff that I like, right. Is the supplements I take. It's the, you know, the same, thing I'm laughing I'm wearing one of my shirts right now and so I was laughing as you said that I'm like well gosh it must be some something we something we all 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 seem to do let me ask you something doc and we're kind of as we kind of wind down here a little bit so even though you know you know we listen to you and you know amazed by all that you've done um I have to imagine I just would be curious how you have handled taking 
all of the arrows over the years. Um, and maybe because so many listeners and patients, right, they, as we've gone through COVID especially, uh, it's destroyed families, right? It's uh, injured our friends. It's, uh, I mean, I, you've heard all the stories I've heard. And so um, how have you dealt with that over the years? Are you a person that just, you, you just, you ignore the naysayers, you engage, you dive into the research, you, you turned it into something productive like these courses. Do you have advice for, you know, the quote average person? I don't even like that word, right? But the person that feels like I don't have the credentials that Dr. Tim Penny does, I'm not smart as her, that kind of stuff. I don't even like those excuses because we're all able to engage, right? We all need to be educated consumers. We all can know things about vaccines and make a informed decision for ourselves and our families of how we want to take care of our health. Um, how did, what's your, how did you deal with that? Cause I know people have tried to, you know, wreck your life over the years. How have you dealt with that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, there's two parts to that. There's two parts to answer that question. The one core part is, you know, there, what I, the expression I use all the time is that, you know, when you're, when you're going to be the lead dog, mm -hmm. you need to expect to take bullets in the chest and arrows in the back mm -hmm. and the bullets in the chest you know, you kind of expect that, you know, the MSNBC and CNN and, yeah. you know, the conspiracy theory, disinformation doesn't, yeah, you know, all yeah. this other stuff. It's like, blah, 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 blah. Okay. And you know that when you're, when you're right and you're over the target, yeah. the only thing that they have left to do to you when, you know, they can't, they, I've never, ever been challenged or, refu uh, or refuted on the information I put out. It's always character assassination and name calling and mudslinging. And it's all second grade, you know, fighting. You know, I'm going to call you names and, you know, so, so I go, okay, well, sticks and stones can break my bones. They will never hurt me. Yeah. You know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so, so I just get to always get above the fray. Now the arrows in the back are harder to take because that's mm -hmm. friendly fire. That's people that you think are on your side. And for whatever reason, if they can take you down a notch, it somehow makes them look more important. Mm -hmm. And so those have been the things that those were kind of ouchy, but you just have to pull out the, pull the arrows out and bandage up your wounds and move on. You can't let any of those things stop you from telling the truth. And the second part of the answer to that is the reason you have to keep going is because ever since I've started doing this 22 years ago, well, maybe, maybe not in the first couple of years, but for at least 20 years, the re what keeps me going and the principles that I stand on, number one, God called me to do this. Mm. I mean, I heard him out loud say, mm. when I said, why are you asking me to do this? I'd mm. rather get Tony Robbins, go team rah-rah. <laughs> why did you give me this to do? And it was like, I just heard him say, because you're willing to do the work. Mm. So when you're given that commission, you don't give up no matter what. And the second thing is, is that, you know, I realized that I stand firmly on what God's plan is for my life, number one. And number two, all of the information that I do is based off of the parable of the sower in the Bible. Mm -hmm. And if you break down what the parable of the sower is for your some of your listeners, yeah. number one, seeds go, the farmer sows seeds. Some seeds go onto rocky soil and the birds just pluck it away. Some seeds go into and start to grow, but get scorched out by the sun. All of the family members, naysayers, pediatricians, whatever, that scorch you out and then you just cower down. Some seeds fall and but they get choked out by the weeds, you know, like other activities and things in your life take precedence over standing on your truth. Mm. But one seed, 21 seed falls into good soil and grows up and bears fruit 30, 50, 100 times. So the moral of that parable to me is you always have to sow seeds because you never know which seed comes out of your mouth is going to be the one that makes a difference in somebody's life. Mm. The second thing is you never know where the good soil is ever, ever. In fact, I may be standing talking to you face to face, right. Ben, but the person that's overhearing me back behind me that I don't even know who they are, that's where the good soil is, you know? And so you never know where the good soil is. And number three, and most importantly for every, all of your listeners, it's not your responsibility to make that seed grow. Your responsibility is to sow seeds when it lands on good soil. That's where the Holy Spirit kicks in mm -hmm. and fertilizes it and waters it and gives it sunshine and makes it grow. And it may grow in a day, a month or 10 years. It's not your job. So for all the people who are saying, I gave my your videos and your mm -hmm. books and I shared all this information and nothing happened and they're not listening and they got the shots anyways. Mm -hmm. It's your job was to sow seeds. 
It was not your responsibility to make it to be accountable for their personal decisions. It is not your responsibility to be accountable for how long it takes for that seed to sprout. Because people, many people have gotten the first shot, then they really heard you because they got sick and they're like, okay, I'm not going to get any more. Well, damage done. But now damage has been mitigated because they didn't get shot number two, three, four, five, six, right? Yeah. So they did listen to you at some level. So the the moral of that is don't be discouraged. If you if the best case scenario, if the best case scenario you're going to do is 25% of your work is going to make it grow, is going to grow things for the kingdom. 25% of what you do, those seeds are going to sprout and grow. Only 25%. If you do 25%, God's going to say, well done, good and faithful Mm, servant, mm. because that's the best case scenario. You're not going to get 50%, 75%, Mm. 100%. It's just not going to happen, but be proud of what you've been able to do. Be grateful that the Lord's given you a platform to do it. Be grateful for the 25% that actually listened to you and took action. And you may never, ever, ever know who those people are. I mean, my husband who passed away nine years ago, Kevin used to always say to me, sweetie, you are never, ever going to know until you die and meet your maker and have your life review how many millions of people all over the world that you never knew that listened to you on a podcast yeah. or a radio interview or a television interview that you transformed their lives. So my job, like every single person listening to this, your job is to sow seeds. And whether it's about vaccines, whether it's about nutrition, whether it's about chiropractic, whether about whatever it is that moves you that you think is good and that God given gave you the commission to do, just keep sowing the seeds. Don't get discouraged if it seems like it's not working. It's like the, the story of the bamboo farmer, right? The bamboo farmer gave up doing corn and decided he was gonna he was gonna plant bamboo. And every year nothing happened, nothing happened. And everybody laughed at him and made fun of him and told him, you know, you're losing all this money because you're not growing corn. Well, it took eight years for those bamboo seeds to sprout. But when they finally sprouted, they grow a literally a foot a day. So within a, just a matter of a period of time, he has an entire forest of bamboo, which made him very wealthy and that he could live off for the rest of his life. But it was eight years. So don't get discouraged about time frames. It's God's time frame. It's the Holy Spirit's time frame. It's not your time frame. Your job is to sow seeds. My goodness. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, and I feel like in some way I'm I was I was the beneficiary of one of those seeds, Doc. I, you know, early in my career, when it's when I first kind of started in my career was when you were starting to speak out in yours, and so I was uh, I feel like I received from you earlier and was able to listen to things. I've been some at events that you've been at and speaking, and I just am, am so thankful. And and I remit you remain you reminded me of a moment, and I, this might be for a listener, and then we'll 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 wind down here. When I was opening up my second office down in Florida. I was, it was just one of them just driving home one night and, and I've, I've never have heard the audible voice of God, but I've heard him speak to my spirit and he said, you need to open an office. <clears throat> and I said, um, <laughs> I said, I don't want to. And, and, <laughs> and, he, and he said, I didn't ask you if you wanted to. And that was the day I opened up the next office. And so we have these moments and I want our listeners, you know, the last thing that I know that doc would feel the same way when, when we get on here, it's not to uh, pound anybody's chest. Yes. We like to honor people that have gone before us and, and be a lead dog. But, but I know the last thing that any of us would like, like would want anybody to think is that they don't have everything that they're not equipped in every way to do whatever it is that God has called them to do. So you might just be, just be right. Uh, your mom and you got your little babies at home and you stay at home or you sell mortgages or you, you know, you're not in natural health care. You're not doing this stuff. You don't have time to research all day long, all that. We get it. I get it. That's why you've done so much of that for us. We're not going to be able to recreate the 50,000 hours, but we can glean from you and the curation of the information and the perspective. And that allows us to, to leapfrog. It allows us to, to stand on your shoulders. It allows the, the next generation of doctors, our kids or kiddos or grandkids, whoever's going to take the torch to the next level and continue to fight for medical freedom, continue to tr- uh, fight for truth, God's laws of health and healing, above, down, inside out, all of these things that we know. And so, Doc, we're so thankful for your work, your legacy. Uh, you uh, you have many years to go, of course. I don't <laughs> or this isn't your eulogy, right? Uh, but uh, <laughs> well, God willing. Hopefully not. Um, is there any next things for you that you want to share with our listeners? Um, kind of final thoughts. I mean, are you what's what's next for Dr. Timpenny? 
Well, interestingly enough, yeah. I started a new business and it was something that I came across. It was just sort of like the vaccine thing, right? Okay. You know, I mean, little did I know that when I, you know, I, you know, I end up going to this this meeting in Washington D.C., right? And I, um, little did I know that this was, you know, like I said, I was meeting my destiny. Yeah. Well, little did I know that in February of this year, when I was out in California and visiting some friends and having some dental work done, <laughs> that they we wanted to. They said, "Well, I want you to go with me to this clinic down in Southern California because uh, I want to. I want you to get on one of these ECP beds." Okay. And I'm like, "Okay, what is an ECP bed? Well, it stands for external counter pulsation." And I went down and I had a treatment down there, and I was just fascinated and mesmerized by everything that was going that that happened at, in on that treatment. And, you know, and, and this is external counterpulsation is a, it's a bed. It's a big bed. It's like, you know, 400 pounds uh, it has big compressors on it. And the treatment, it consists of putting uh, two blood, pr- blood pressure cuff around each calf, around each thigh and around your lower pelvis. And then that machine is attached to your chest with a three lead EKG. So it monitors your heartbeat. And so your heart beats and then the cuffs beat, then the heart, then the cuffs, and mm. the hearts and the cuffs. And that cuff beating under high pressure uh, increases the amount of oxygenation back to your back to your um, back to your heart. You get six times more oxygen that goes back to your heart mm. than as if you were running up st- uphill on a treadmill for mm. an hour. It increases nitric oxide, which vasodilates okay. everything, including the things in your brain. Um, it increases VEGF, which is endothelial growth factor, which you you actually recannulize blockages in your heart. It's like doing your own bypass graph. Wow. It also improves your your brain, your circula- your ner- central nervous system, your lungs, your pancreas. Increases perfusion to your kidneys. It's just an overall miracle cure treatment. Mm. It's been FDA approved for chronic angina and uh, cardiac shock since 1995. It got a soft second approval for congestive heart failure in 2002. And almost every cardiology cardiologist in the country has thrown it underneath the bus mm. because we mm. do stents and bypass grafts. And so it's, um, you know, that's what makes our money. We don't want somebody walking into All our right. clinic, you know, 20 times and getting cured yeah, yeah. of their problems and getting off of their medications and feeling better and having better perfusion and all of those different things. We don't want anybody doing that when we can take them to the OR and, and only right. give them, extend them about three years of their life. And if they die during surgery, oh, well, we tried. Mm-hmm. And so I met this, I, I met this machine in <laughs> February of this year, February 22, and the more I got to thinking about all of the things with the COVID shots and the, mm, the mm-hmm. spike protein causing the myocarditis and listening to Peter McCullough and, and Brian Bindle and all these people saying that within the next three years, we're going to see this massive yeah. wave of cardiovascular death because yeah. of these shots. Yeah. I So I'm going, so I, yeah. so, so I hear God kind of like tapping on my shoulder. I'm going, uh-uh, nope, Mm-mm. no, 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 no. <laughs> Uh-uh. No, God, mm, no. I, no. I, you know, I did this once, and I've been a good and faithful servant for 22 years. Come on. 60, can I just have one call in my life? Do I'm I have to have two? I'm 64 years old, man. I've spent the last seven years building the life, the perfect mm. life that I said I wanted to build after Kevin died, mm. that I wanted a life that was portable, reproducible, impactful, and profitable, and it's taken me years, and I'm almost there, mm. and I'm enjoying everything, the fruits of my labor, and thank you, Lord, so much, but no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> And the tap became like a whap upside the head and it became like a shove. And it's like, oh, okay, God. So here's the deal. So, so what do you do? You sit down and you bargain with God, right? Yeah. I tried. I said, I did. Mine was short. I said, I don't want to. He said, I didn't ask if you wanted to. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, I, I sat down and I said, um, if this is really what you want me to do, then it, then you got to make it easy. I, I don't have it in me at this point in time in my life mm-hmm. to go through a huge, big struggle again, like I did with this vaccine thing. You got to make it easy. You got to make the right people show up. And it's got to be kind of fun. Well, it's all of those things. Mm-hmm. All of the people showed up that I needed, all the financing, because it's a big financial project. Okay. The people that God have dropped into my lap with the financing is just like miraculous. I mean, I could I could have never done this without God in the middle of it. I mean, I was on a plane going from Cleveland to Dallas saying, okay, God, I, I'm done. I, I don't, listen, either move me big or take me home. I'm, I just, it, you know, you, you are the alpha omega in my life. You see the entire thing in my life. You know the number of hairs on my mm-hmm. head. You know where you really 
want me to be. Well, now's the time. Like, put me there or take me home because I'm tired of the battle. I'm tired of all these people getting their boosters. I'm tired of all this mm, stuff. Mm. I'm just tired of it. So, I mean, I was in a real snit. I mean, a real snit with God. <laughs> it was like a real snit. And so I get on the plane from Dallas to Spokane. And who did I sit beside? This huge financial person who he and his wife and his mother-in-law have been fans of mine forever. Oh. And he and I, he said, what can I do to help you? And I said, I really need to talk to a franchising expert. Well, as it turns out, one of his three best friends in the entire world is the number one franchising consultant in all of Canada. Of course. And and so then, and this is just the way things have just fallen. I mean, people and places and situations and all this other stuff. So I said, all right, God, I get it. I'm in. But what I'm going to do next, God, is I'm taking my hands off the steering wheel. I'm not going to drive any of this. You know, if this is where you want me to be, I'm happy to be the spokesperson. Okay. I'm happy to be the physical human who does the stuff, but not by my white might or my power or by my brain. It's all because of you and what you're wanting to do to try to save your people. I'm going to sit in the passenger seat over here and let you drive the car. Mm. And he is. And I think that that's a big lesson for people that are learning who are struggling in their life is that sometimes you just have to say, uncle, you know, father, Abba, father, take it. I I can't do it. It's too big. It's more than I could ever imagine doing to set up one of these clinics all across America and and have it be like the Starbucks of healthcare, meaning Mm. people would come in and do their series of treatments and be well and feel good and, and get on with their life. But having hundreds and hundreds of these, which is lots and lots of money, Mm. lots of planning, huge organizational chart with lots of employees. And I'm like, God, that's really what you want me to do. Um, Here's the keys, babe. You take the car. I'm going to sit in the front seat passenger side. And that's the kind of relationship I have with the Lord. You know I mean? He's, he wants to have a relationship with you. And I don't think that I think God has the, probably the best sense of humor on mm. of any cre- creation in all he of the universe. To. He, has, he to. has to. He created us, right? <laughs> and so, I mean, he, he has to have this great sense of humor. And I mean, I don't know if you've watched The Chosen, but yeah, I, yeah. I love that series because it, it so personifies Christ as a physical person who was physically here and sprained his ankle and got cuts on his right. leg and got hungry and was tired and worn out. And so I think that he wants to have a real relationship with us and it doesn't have have to be just totally rev- uh, mm. reverent and and like falling on your face. Yes, you also need to do sure. that. Yes, you need to love and f- fear and honor and yeah. respect everything that, that Jesus is. But if, if you had just that kind of a reverent relationship with your wife, I mean, what would that be? <laughs> pretty sterile. It'd be pretty sterile, right? And so you have real things where you laugh and you cry and you fight and you argue and you ask for forgiveness and you pray together. And, mm. and, and, and I think that's the exact kind of real relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. Mm. I think when we when we end up getting to the uh, whatever you want to call it the end of our rope our a surrender whatever the word is or the person uses you know I think there's this part of us sometimes where we feel like like we've we've failed or we 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 we, we did, couldn't do it and then I think the irony of that moment is that's when the Lord looks at us and says, finally, right? Like here we think we, we, we've failed, we've given up, we couldn't do it. We get to the point where you just said like, hey, you're going to have to drive this thing. And, and it's essentially what he's, been, what he's been, you know, after us the whole time for, right? Is to understand that we get to co-labor with him, that, that he doesn't want us to do it. He never designed us to do it. We were designed to be, you know, if you will, with him in paradise. And yes, there's been, you know, that we're in a crazy world right now, but that doesn't mean, and I, and I do want our listeners, that doesn't mean that that we don't have the availability to have that relationship with him now today like today right and this isn't that we're not preaching today i'm just saying like as if you've made it this far into the interview right or the today's podcast uh, i think that as much as i hear i thought we were we were winding the show down and i think this became the most important part of the show and i'm so thankful that you shared what you just shared and i can't wait to to learn more about those beds doc if there is somebody listening i'm just putting you on the spot here but if there's somebody listening that that either wants to like, can they do that? The bed thing right now, if they're just in a, in a trouble, they, they don't have time to wait for the, you know, the, the stores to open. Is there a place that you can guide them to? I know that wasn't part of today's show, but is there any references or clinics or anything like that? They could get involved in that right now. 
Yes. Uh, we opened our first clinic here in Cleveland. It's actually almost right next door to my to Tenpenny Integrated Medical Center, my clinic where I've been since 2008. We've opened a second location. It's it's a different business model, and it's more about, about health and um, exercise okay. and nutrition out in Ventura, California. Okay. Our clinic here in Cleveland is all about restoring, you know, it's treating medical people. It's run by a nurse practitioner. It's run by my nurses. And you can go the best place to find out all the information and all the phone numbers and everything yeah. send us an email if you go to tenpenny it's my last name t-e-n-p-e-n-n-y tenpenny e as in edward c is in charlie p is in peter.com which stands for external counter pulsation okay. so it's tenpenny ecp.com tons of information okay. there everything that you need to know is really like right there and um I've got, you know, Lord willing, great, great meetings coming up with people in the next couple of days who really believe in the project and really, really want us to put together the work to um, get more of these set up because people, uh, Jared, you know, Ben, if I could just tell yeah. you if, if, if we had, you know, another hour and I could tell you just in the nine weeks that we've been open for business, the number of miracles mm. we've already seen in that clinic. And it's all based off of Christ. It's all, I mean, there's first Thess Thessalonians. We go to Holly, Holly lobby, hobby lobby and get <laughs> yeah. and get our things for the walls and my nurses pray with the patients when Praise they God. come in yeah. and and it's all god driven because it's all god's work i mean i told you i didn't want to do this yeah. it's like lord you know here's the keys drive it you know and i said it's so it's a, and it's really happening that way and that's what we tend to be a little bit like Chick-fil-A, you know, mm -hmm. we're not going to operate on Sundays and we're going to honor the Lord and we're going to, you know, tie the, the net profits at the end of the year. And we're going to do all of these different things because this is God's God dropped this into my lap to do something with it. It's mm -hmm. been languishing since 1995. There's a few, there's beds around, but yeah. they're onesies, twosies. They're not like a, the entire clinic is designed only for this. And that's probably why we're not going to do a franchise model. Okay. Um, it's, it's going to be probably more owner operated, you know, corporately, yeah. corporately owned and operated because, you know, and after we talked to this franchise specialist and he said, you know, you have to really understand the franchising business and what it means to have franchisors and mm -hmm. franchisees and, after going through all that and praying about it a lot, I think, oh, that just doesn't sound like much fun at all. And because uh, and, and, here's, the, here's the thing. He said, you understand if somebody, if you set it up as a franchise and someone buys your franchise, they are in and of themselves entrepreneurial. They want to buy a business and operate it. They, and, and so they'll say, oh, these beds are great. What if we added an IV center to it? What right, if right, we right. added like blood draws? What if we added chiropractic in the center? Sure. No, no. Yeah. And, and then he said, you're, you're going to get someplace into fights. You never, with, yeah. Yeah. You, you, they've, they've, they've morphed the brand into something else. Yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's, um, it's, man, you know, it's, it's some of the beautiful things that are coming out of whatever you want to call these last couple of years, but these, you know, it's, it's, it's really pressed. You've been doing it a long time, but I'm seeing other just beautiful, intelligent serving people that say, no, 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 I need to get in we need to fix things. We need to get in the game, right? We want to, I'm going to bring my tools and resources and, and uh, whatever finances to things like this to make a difference because um, we didn't, many people don't think realize what had been going on in the background for decades and decades and what we had just kind of been lullabied into and now people are, are, are waking up. So as much as there's some pains of change, you're certainly having, we're all in, in our own ways having to walk through that, but uh, we just pray over those clinics and the future of that and those meetings that you have and those conversations and I uh, can't wait to learn more. Well, Doc, we are so honored for your time today. I'm, I was, it was worth the wait. I'm sure we'll uh, run into each other. I know I'm down here in Orlando, Florida. I think you're making your way down here in the, in the next bit anyway. And um, I hope to see you and God bless you and all the work that you do. Thank you so much. Appreciate the time. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to support the show, give us a five-star review and share it with your tribe. To learn more about Dr. Ben's work, visit AchieveWellness.Clinic.